for tuning in to Magic City Business, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the people, systems, and tech behind the best businesses in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Magic City Business Podcast. My special guest today is Mr. Mark Yarbrough. Hello. Hello, Mark. How are you doing, Jason? This is Mark's first podcast interview, so kind of a big deal. (laughs) So Mark runs a real estate school here in the greater Birmingham area called My Real Estate School. But before we get into that, I wanted to just talk a little bit about your real estate journey personally. Like, how'd you get into real estate and what was that all about leading up to now? Well, my father had a tremendous background in real estate while I wasn't that close with my father, I inevitably ended up in the business. My uh, Half my family was in the mortgage business, and another half was in the real estate business. I got out of the service in the mid-80s. I started going to college, but then just thought, you know, why not? So I went ahead and got my real estate license, and starting in the early 90s, got in the game. Oh, wow. What was it like in the 90s as a realtor starting out? It was funny. It was completely different than now. In fact, when I talk to class about what it used to be like, I feel like an 80-year-old man. I just happened to be in the middle of a transition from no technology to technology. It makes me sound 80 because in the early 90s, we had no cell phones. Fax machines were still fairly young. And we had pagers. So, yeah, it was a much different. We had map books, you know, mm-hmm. I was using, and I'm geographically, there's a part of my brain where geography doesn't work well. And that's not good when you're in the real estate business. Right. So I relied heavily on map books. But it's funny when I think of the comparison just a, a short time ago. Yeah, because you didn't have GPS. No. You know, you didn't have all that stuff, all the stuff that really helps us transact business these days. You courthouse retrieval. You have no <laughs> idea how impactful courthouse retrieval is. Yeah. I imagine it's hard with your students to like, you know, especially maybe did any of them like follow up with you after they get into the business and you tell them, listen, stop whining. Like I didn't have any of the stuff you've <laughs> yeah. got these days. So you make it so easy. Yeah, they do. You know, joining, getting in the real estate business is like joining a gym in January. You know, you've got good intentions, you've got ambitions, but then you go work out a couple of times, you don't lose any weight, and you realize it's a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, and you just stop going to the gym. You know, everybody seems to have a friend or a relative that's got a 396-foot-long car, and they're in sales, and they think, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Right. So they give it a shot, and... Fortunately for them, the barrier to get in the real estate industry is fairly low. Well, and I, you know, I have uh, not to get off script, but I am, I recently became a user of the app TikTok and put out some real estate, you know, uh, posts and prospecting posts and, you know, things of that nature. And man, I've got a visceral response from people who think we're lazy overpaid, uh, have been compared to criminals. And in a lot of cases, they're not totally wrong. Right. right. But, you know, we, there is definitely a black cloud over this industry. Was it like that in the nineties when you got into the business? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I think the image of a realtor 
has never been fantastic, you know. Uh, again, I think consumers only see our contribution to them. They don't see our contribution to everybody in a six-day week. You yeah. Know? And they think it's fairly easy. And they don't understand the psychology in real estate because the uncertainty of when I'm going to get paid, it can wear on you, especially if you're a family and dependent upon steady income. And what income is not in the beginning of a real estate career is steady so, you know, the first year, even in the, the life of a, a future successful real estate salesperson, the first year is precarious. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, like I said, a lot of psychology. But yeah, there's always been an image issue with the real estate uh, profession, strangely enough. I think, you know, there's, there's ineptness in every industry. I think there are crooks in every industry. And I think perhaps every industry unfairly suffers from a perception that those people create. And what about the poor used car salesmen? Are these guys that bad? I mean, I really, you know, they get, we get compared to these people all the time. And I'm like, you know, I'm feeling I'm bad for myself. You know, they're attacking my personal self-image. But I'm thinking, God, these used car salesmen, do they really deserve that? You know, it's funny you say that. I think they might have in the past. But I think the car sales uh, industry is a lot more honorable than it used to be. Yeah. You know, prior to Carfax and prior to you being able to stick a USB port into a car to determine what's wrong with it, there was, a, there was probably too much trust involved. Right. And, you know, obviously that trust, you got let down when you bought a car and things started falling apart on it. And that's a significant investment. That's not a... That's not an ottoman at a furniture store, you know, cars and homes are the most significant investments. So probably now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm answering your question, that's probably why we get so many heat, so much heat, because you buy a couch and it ends up faulty. You're not going to go around telling everybody at cocktail parties what a crappy industry the furniture (laughs) sales is. But you spend every nickel you got on a home or a car and it starts going bad structurally or what have you. Yeah, it it's, has more of an impact on you. Right. You know. What about this? So how how did you start getting in or away from the sales side and more into the teaching side? I found out a school was for sale in 2002. Uh-huh. So I became interested in it. And this school primarily relied on online sales, which online sales, there's not a lot of labor. You know, if you can um, have your website and your e-commerce platform, you can really have a streamlined business and do a lot of online education. So that's how I got into it. I just saw a school for sale and saw some income potential. So I bought it. And then in 2008, just six short years later, the recession hit. And I used that as the perfect timing for me to exit the sales industry and just focus on education. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that makes good sense. I mean, were you were you somebody in the office that would get asked to train or do you have a teaching background at all? Well, we haven't really talked about this yet, Jason, but my entire real estate career has not been in real estate sales. I just mentioned when we first started chatting the fact that a significant portion of my family is in the mortgage business. Right. And that's still true today. I have a sister managing a mortgage company in Columbus, Georgia. So uh, I remember 1994, uh, prior to 1994, 
interest rates had been anywhere from nine and a half to 11. And I began, I got licensed in 1987. So for the first seven years, interest rates were between nine and a half and 11. But in January of 94, they began to plummet about a quarter of a point every three weeks to the point where, and I'll never forget it, even though it was 26 years ago, by October of 94, the interest rates had plummeted to six and three quarters. And that sounds ridiculously high now, but at that time, it was ridiculously low. It was surreal, honestly. And a friend of mine who was a mortgage broker asked me, he said, Mark, why don't you consider changing teams? Why don't you come over here and work with me? And I said, Michael, I've got so much business, I don't have enough hours in the day. And why would I switch teams and go work with you? And he said, well, because I'm making about $15,000 a week without having to get up out of my chair. So that sounded attractive, you know, because the mortgage industry, when the economy is fantastic and rates are low, they get to double dip. They not only get the purchase business, but they get the refi business. Right. So I was able to, uh, I literally left sales and, and stuck my toe in mortgage retail. But, you know, Murphy's Law, within one year, the interest rates had gone back to nine and a half percent. But by that time, I had headhunters uh, hunting me down. So I within I got back into real estate sales. And then within a few years, I was uh, a, an account executive for SunTrust Mortgage. Mm. And then I became an account executive for a down payment gift program called American Family Funds. And I sold real estate. So I was actually in three different industries simultaneously. The interesting thing is, is all three fed each other. They all scratched each other's back, sort of. And I was able to kind of hook all three of them together and, and make a make a living. Well, that's interesting. My wife, Diana, is in the mortgage business. Prior yeah. to getting in the mortgage business, she was a real estate agent. Yeah. She accredits her success. I mean, she had, I don't, it didn't take her long to start putting pending sales on the board, but- what she did when she started out is she started calling around to mortgage lenders and going, Hey, tell me everything you can about the FHA program or, you know, what's USDA and just taking the lunch and coffee and learning all about, you know, the mortgage industry. So she was on the phone with these buyers. She could, she could just about pre-qualify a buyer right off the bat. So, you know, they trusted her. They're like, this isn't just a, you know, somebody who's an order taker. This is somebody who knows their craft. Uh-huh. So that was uh or her fast track into uh, real estate success. But I, you know, you are somebody that, you know, people, I, I don't go around talking about my real estate instructor, but you, people talk about Mark Yarbrough, about the experience in the class, you know, because the information is not all that exciting, but I think you find a way to make it exciting. Can you tell us about that? Uh, a little yeah. Bit? Thanks for saying that. One thing, going back to what your wife said, you know, fortunately, they're sister industries, mortgage and real estate. It's easy to float back and forth. I've known many professionals in my life that have done so. Uh, and one's just going to help the other. If yeah. you got real estate experience, it's going to help you in the mortgage and vice versa. But back to your question, I think my mortgage background helped. Uh, I've got, I've, I've worked large territories because of my experience. And I have wonderful relationships in both mortgage industries and real estate industry. And because of that, I've probably got more war stories 
than most people in the real estate professional do because I've got war stories that came from the mortgage side. I've got war stories that came from the real estate side. And I incorporate those experiences and those stories into my training. I'm a goof right now. I'm trying to act all serious, (laughs) you know, but I'm a huge goof. I'm a clown, if you will. And that comes out in my teaching. Uh, you know, some people try to be a clown and try to be funny, and it doesn't come across as comfortable. Right. But I'm naturally a goof, you know. And frankly, most people will admit time flies fast when you're having a little fun. And, you know, the one thing I would like to be put on my tombstone is, you know, my whole life I took care of business, but I also had a lot of fun, but I never compromised one for the other. Oh, I love that. That's great. I think that's going to be uh... – a soundbite that gets isolated for future use. All right. So, you know, we were talking about how everybody knows at least one real estate agent. You know, there's the market's flooded with agents. We don't have a shortage of agents right now, but many of those, the, you know, the, to the tune of say 87% aren't successful. Um, and I would imagine that you have, you know, gained a pretty keen eye over the years as to who's going to make it and who's probably not. But I'm sure people are going to listen to this and go, oh, my gosh, I've always wanted to be in real estate. But it's just a it's just 100 percent commission based sales. I got a problem with what do you think it really takes to make it in this industry? A certain amount of self-discipline. Mm. You know, same thing with working out. You can have a gym membership, but if you're not in the actual gym, that membership does you absolutely no good. So a lot of people will get a license and they got it hanging on the wall, figuratively speaking. But if they're not out mixing it up with the public, then the license is never going to uh, you know, produce for them. You know, everybody thinks it's easy to be your own boss. The irony is, is we're not trained to be our own boss. I've done a lot of research whenever I decided to teach I did a lot of research on the brain and how the brain learns and what environment the learn the brain learns better in, et cetera. I'm obviously I'm I'm in real estate education, so these are topics that are now interesting to me. But I learned something, you know, that the brain like for instance, time management, you know, we are not taught how to manage our time. Mm-hmm. Like if I took a twenty gallon aquarium from Walmart, you know, a generic aquarium. And I put a plant right in the middle and topsoil around it. You can see the plant like an ant farm through the glass. If I only watered that plant from the right side of the aquarium its whole life, as you look through the aquarium, you could only see the roots going to that side of the aquarium. There are no roots going to the other side. And those roots are analogous to the synapses in our brain. See, as children, we do what our parents tell us to do and when they tell us to do it. And then we go to school and we do what our uh, teachers tell us to do. And when they tell us to do it, we're in certain rooms at times. They tell us to be there. We don't eat until they give us permission to. We don't use the restroom until they give us permission to. We don't go home until they give us permission to. Then we get a job as an adult. And and I think uh, I don't need to uh, belabor the point. So as easy as you think it would be to be your own boss and manage your time, you, in fact, you're completely ineffective at it. And when and then you compound the problem that whenever you clock in and clock out the majority of your adult life, you're compounding this issue because now, not only am I not effective at managing my time, but I'm so used to a check being there every Friday, regardless of how hard I worked or how hard I didn't work. 
So those are two psychological issues that a person has to either overcome. I say has to either overcome. They have to overcome that. You know, I think I read somewhere that 2% of people are natural born leaders and are effective at managing their own time and are effective at being self-disciplined. For instance, if you're in an amphitheater and someone yells fire, 98% of the people look like ants in an ant bed that's just been kicked over. But you'll see a handful of people holding doors open, telling people, over here, those are the natural born leaders. And the other 98% are the, you know, that's the way people act. They don't know how to take charge. They follow other people's directions and they do so naturally. So it is strange. There's a lot of psychology in why some people are successful in sales or not. It is certainly not because it's a hard product to sell. Yeah, I have just mad respect for anybody that's in 100% commission-based sales. And, you know, when people, you know, try to throw shade at me for being overpaid and, you know, being a part of an industry that's, you know, looked at as something that technology is about to make obsolete, you know, I I just kind of shake that off because they have no idea based on all the things you just mentioned about how hard it is. And then when I meet with a new recruit, I don't sugarcoat it. I mean, they see the the agent in the fancy car, the big stylish sunglasses, the nice jewelry. And I say, listen, there's, there's one or two things about this woman that are true. She's either born wealthy or married into wealth, or she's the hardest damn woman you've ever seen in your life. She works harder than anybody uh, that you know. And it's probably more often than not the latter. You know, she's just, you've got to get in there and, and bust your butt. All right. So I am, let's say I'm listening to this and I'm saying to myself, I'm a self-starter. I'm self-disciplined. I don't have a problem mixing it up with the public. And I want to, I'm interested in getting my license. Is there anything else, any other traits that I should look for? Or you may want to talk about, should I have a certain amount of money saved up? You know, all those are great questions. First of all, just tagging on to the conversation we just had or, or the points I was making, you can teach yourself to be your own boss. You can teach yourself to be an effective manager of your own time. But it is a learning process. And unfortunately, in the modern day, some people don't have the patience to learn something, to develop new traits. You know, for instance, on your database, you have a task function. See, you could teach yourself to be your own boss, but you can also simultaneously teach yourself to be an employee. Mm. And since we naturally are employees, I'm going to do both. If I utilize my task function on my database, every morning I belly up to my computer a list of things to do that day pop up based on what I've told myself to do on days prior to that. So if I'm naturally going to act like an employee, there's a list of things for me to do. So as an employer, I produce that list. As an employee, I perform that list. And another example is, you know, I've got a book in me that I want to write one day called Clock Radio Across the Room. There's probably a lot of <laughs> probably a lot of youngsters listening to me that are going, what's a clock radio? Right. <laughs> you know, but the thought was back in the day, you set the clock radio across the room because once you got up and walked across the room, your adrenaline was flowing. It was cold. You were awake. Yep. In other words, you set up things to make you do the things that you're supposed to do. When I first came into the business, 
I had two other friends that were rookies like myself. And I, I told one of my friends, Brian, I said, let's meet Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. for breakfast and we'll exchange our ideas on how to prospect for buyers and sellers. And and then I had another friend, Tim. We met on Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. Now, here's the thinking. Once I'm up and eating breakfast at 7 a.m. with a colleague, I'm up and therefore I'm probably going to have a productive day. But, you know, when you work for yourself, I could have woke up at 530 in the morning that morning and thought, you know, I'm just not going to do it. But the psychology is, is I don't want to let my friend down. Mm. We'll often let ourselves down before we'll even let a friend down. So me setting up breakfasts two mornings a week with two friends was a clock radio across the room. It was to make me get up, get out, be dressed professionally, be hanging out with a colleague, be talking shop. And now I'm in the game. And that was uh, a means for me to help myself overcome perhaps a lack of self-discipline that I might have about not getting up early and, and having a full productive day. I may have ventured away from your question. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, one thing that's going through my mind is that, you know, it's just the power of accountability. But people, I think, you know, like you said, people aren't programmed necessarily to be, they're programmed to be the employee, not the employer. The follower, not the leader. They're yeah. also not really ingrained. And maybe it's because like, we're always told since we're children, like when we can eat, when we go to the bathroom, all this stuff. But there is an aversion to accountability. And this meeting you just set up is an accountability meeting and to keep yourself on task. But, I, you know, I really, from this podcast, I want to, you know, I don't want to, people to, to get the wrong impression. I love real estate. I love everything about it. I think the freedom is the, the greatest part about the business, but it's also the worst part of the business. So I want them to come into this with their eyes wide open. What about a part-time agent? So I, I come to your class and, and I tell you like, hey, this is just going to be a side gig for me. Do you have any advice for an agent who just thinks they can be successful doing this part-time? Sure I do, but that reminds me of some funny instances. I've met people that worked in a kiosk in the mall and I'm having small talk with them. And then in the conversation, they tell me that real estate's their side hustle. I think you're working in a kiosk in a mall <laughs> and real estate your side hustle, huh? <laughs> but one more time with the question. <laughs> I got That's all right. So, yeah, th but real estate as a oh, yeah, side yeah, yeah. hustle. Yeah. I mean, is it? I would say, you know, the funny thing is seven out of 10, Jason, people come into the real estate business. You had asked me a question earlier about yeah. how much money. Money definitely prohibits from some people realizing their dream to go into the real estate business. Because fair or unfair, you know, you need to realistically plan on 90 to 120 days when you get your first check. Mm -hmm. Now, we happen to be fortunate and be in a market where you could probably realize a check within 30 to 60 days. But, you know, worst case scenario is the safest plan. And yeah, fair or unfair, over 50% of America doesn't have over $500 of spendable income just sitting aside for an unplanned expense. So if they don't have $500, statistically, 50% of America, they, they surely don't have 90 days. So money is a killer. But to go back to your question, I have told friends and students when they come up to me and they say, Mr. Yarba, do you think I'm realistically going to be able to wean myself from my full-time job and go into the real estate business? Mm -hmm. 
Because again, 70% of the people taking my course have a full-time job, and that is the exact route they would prefer to take. They want to get two or three transactions working at part-time. Hopefully, that would be enough cash that would allow them to cut the umbilical cord, so to speak, on their full-time job. And I tell them, you know, I'm not a miracle worker. I'm really, I'll, I'll never outsmart anybody, but I'll out-common sense you to death. I tell them, I say, I don't know your life and its demands. You do. And uh, in keeping with that, set a date. Sometimes something as simple as setting a target date for when I want to make the transition will increase the likelihood that that will happen. You know, I've, I've used the example before, you know, me and a buddy of mine sitting on the front porch drinking a beer and, and chatting. And my friend says, you know, I'd love to take my old lady to uh, the Caribbean on a vacation out in one of them huts on the water. And I say, you know, I'd love to, too. And then we both take a sip and we spend the rest of our lives not going on that vacation. But had I stepped up the moment that conversation took place and go to my computer and pull that resort up online, put a $250 deposit down, establish the date that I'm going to go on the vacation, determine the balance of monies that are going to be required of me. Now I, I know how to set up a budget because I have a time frame. I know how much money I need to save. I can also go ahead and ask my boss off for that time. Instead of risking it and waiting until a month before the vacation, I'm going to ask for a year in advance to guarantee the fact. Then I'm going to ask a little girl to come water my plants outside my home while I'm on vacation. I'm also going to be buying some vacation clothes in anticipation of the vacation. The thing is, is if sometimes for a big event to take place, many, 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 many tiny events need to take place. And if you don't establish a date and have that as a target within your vision, then those tiny events are never going to take place. Therefore, the big events never going to take place. Mm, gosh, that's good. All right. So I think you've really kind of laid it out there very, very bluntly and clearly. And that's what people that want to get in the real estate business need to hear. I had a mentor of mine talk to me about, because I, I continually get frustrated because I, my, I lean more towards education than sales. My, I really get a great deal of fulfillment out of seeing agents succeed. And I get frustrated when I can't make an agent succeed. And, and so one of my mentors pulled me aside and said, you know, because he, he had trained thousands of salespeople. He was in the insurance business and the car business and, you know, just became a corporate trainer and traveled around. That's what he did full time at the later part of his career. And he said, Jason, the difference between the ones, my students that made it and the ones that didn't was they just liked sales. Like a lot of times when these agents aren't successful, they just don't like what they do. They don't like serving people. They don't like selling real estate. They don't like making calls. And so you need to make sure that you love uh, what you do. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. Oh, that's a great point. In fact, that is a dying talent. You know, with technology and social media, people are losing the ability to have a conversation. Well, anybody can have a conversation, but have a conversation that's colorful, one that's meaningful, one that impresses, one that convinces. Whatever you're trying to do as a salesperson, conversation is strategic when you're in sales. It's not just a 
part of being a human being. And people don't know how to have a strategic conversation. Sometimes conversation will calm a person that's anxious. Sometimes a conversation will convince someone to pull the trigger on a home that they need to pull the trigger on. And the only reason they have a problem pulling the trigger is psychology, not facts. So conversation is a big deal. It, it is literally a tool in your tool bag as a salesperson. And that's a, it's a dying art. Yeah, it's interesting. So what if I, I'm listening and I, I'm, I'm like, I'm checking all the boxes, you know, I, I'm hearing everything. They're hearing everything we're saying. They're going, that's that you're describing me. I can do this. But I want to know, should I, is it better to take the online class or is it better to come sit in a live class? It's funny you say that. Before I answer that question, since there's probably people going to be listening to this who are contemplating real estate as a career, uh, please understand before I go off and answer his question that you can learn to become an effective manager of your own time and you can learn how to become your own boss. It's just a matter of you deciding that you want to do that. And if you do, you'll find yourself in a career where we get paid handsomely and we're autonomous people, meaning we design our days and our weeks and our months, not somebody else. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, it's very subjective, Jason. Some people are just computer oriented. Yeah. They prefer to be on the computer. They like being on the computer. Obviously, I'm going to uh, recommend an online course to that person. You know, in the modern day, when you can sit there at three o'clock in the morning eating a chicken leg and learning naked, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a convenience a lot of Americans pay for. And frankly, some people have extremely tough schedules. So having a laptop, being able to get in the car and go to the library and take a course there and get away from the distractions, I would recommend. So if you're computer oriented, I'd recommend the online course. If your schedule is difficult to navigate, I'd recommend the online course. Some people prefer, most people, frankly, prefer the classroom course. And it's certainly there. But, you know, at my real estate school, I can't speak on behalf of anybody else. We have classrooms all over the state. If a student has to begrudgingly take an online course, uh, we allow them to visit the classroom free of charge anytime they want. Mm. They wouldn't get credit, so to speak, for attending it, you know, but sometimes you need motivation. You need inspiration. I need to hear a human being explain this abstract concept. Uh, you can drop by a local classroom and, uh, and, and go to that class as many times as you want during a semester if you think it enhances your learning experience. But an online class or classroom you know, you get to meet other people like yourself trying to do that. And that, that can be rewarding, you know, and it can give you some inspiration when you get to hear, meet and hear other people's stories. But yeah, it really is a choice, online, classroom. And we have people go back and forth from one to the other. And we have mechanisms that allow them to do that. And if somebody does online, they could come to our CRAM course. That's right. right. Yeah. So we do do monthly uh, exam prep courses that are live and in a classroom. So there is a chance for an online student to, at some point in time, hear a human being explain some of that stuff if they choose to. Yeah, uh, you can get, so the so the gist of it is you can get through it way faster online, but you're probably going to have a better learning experience. You're going to be able to enter the industry with a couple friends if you if you attend the, the in-person sessions. Yeah, you know, and we, we've been talking about discipline and accountability, Jason, mm -hmm. and if you feel like you have issues with those two, I would not do an online course. Yes. 
Because you would need to have those to do an online course. You're not likely to finish it for some reason. Like for years, I had exercise equipment in my basement and it just collected dust. But I would get in the car and go to the gym. Right. It's very strange. Very strange. So I say this ad nauseum my whole life to people. You know you better than anybody else. And you need to make choices that are in keeping with that. I think that's a great point to end on because I feel like a lot of agents that don't make it in this industry aren't very good at self-reflection. So before you even sign up for your course, I think somebody needs to come to a place in truth and honesty with themselves and go, can I do these things that Mark talked about in the interview? You know, can I put myself out there? Can I be self-disciplined? Because if you you were going to be an insurance salesman, you've got to have the same discipline. True. Stockbroker, you've got to have the same discipline. You've got to prospect to find buyers and sellers. Yeah. So there's some shared character traits in all of sales. You only eat what you kill. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how do I find out more about my real estate school? Where can where do I go? Well, you could just Google my real estate school. You could Google my name, Mark Yarbrough. Uh, those are probably the easiest ways. But if you happen to have a pen and a paper, the website's fairly easy, too. It's just kind of lengthy, alabamarealestateclass.com. And they can find all the locations where classes are. Because you, what you're doing is you're, your business is based out of Estavia, but you're simulcasting or broadcasting, if you will, to locations all across the state. Yeah, there are real estate companies around the state that are looking to increase their sales staff. And they realize that by offering a licensing class at their location, this gives them the opportunity to meet some people who are interested in going into real estate sales. So it tends to be, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. The class, the real estate company allows me to to use their classroom in those locations. And you can find a list of those locations on our website. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark. This has been incredibly entertaining, but also informative. And you've been an awesome guest. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, Mark. You got it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic City Business. This podcast is fueled by the support of our listeners. So if you found value in the podcast, please be sure to give us a favorable rating on iTunes, subscribe, and share your favorite episodes with friends. If there is an impactful story behind your business and you'd like to be featured on the show, please send an email to magiccitybusiness at gmail.com.